1128-32. From the standpoint of the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But from the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you once were disobedient to God, but now have been shown mercy because of their disobedience, so these also now have been disobedient in order that because of the mercy shown to you, they also may now be shown mercy. For God has shut up all in disobedience that he might show mercy to all. Amen. The apostle with his closing arguments in this chapter is explaining the difference and the ways in which God has dealt with Jew and Gentile, the differences and even the similarities in the way he's dealt with both groups. In our passage, the they are the Jews, the you are the Gentiles. Verses 28 to 32, they are the Jews, you are the Gentiles. And he has already said in verse 28 that God's choice in the Jews, the elect Jews, will be fulfilled. And it will be fulfilled in time. And why so? Because of verse 29. The gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. He doesn't mean every Jew. He means all of the elect Jews. Not only that, but even the Gentiles. In verse 29, he means the elect Gentiles, those who are chosen by God, by the grace of God, as a gift of God. Verses 28 and 32 apply to them also. They are saved because the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. They are chosen by grace and saved in this way. We also saw from our previous studies that the word for gifts is not a reference to natural gifts. That is, the natural abilities we have. Some have the ability to speak. Others have the ability to remember. Others have the ability to understand mathematics. Others have the ability to understand woodworking, so on and so forth. We're not talking about natural abilities in terms of these gifts. Further, we're not talking about national gifts. That is, whatever God gifted to the nation of Israel, we're not talking about that, not in this passage. It's not about their uh, national benefits and gifts. That is, the deposit of the Word of God came to them, the ritual of circumcision came to them, the covenants were delivered to them, the patriarchs belonged to them, the law of Moses or the experiences of Moses and in the wilderness, all of these benefits they received. But we're not talking about national gifts. We are also not talking about spiritual gifts. That is, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, particularly mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. This is not what he means by the gifts. Last time we saw, he means rebirth, he means faith, he means repentance, and those doctrines that are associated with rebirth, faith, and repentance. This is what he means by the gifts of God. And to summarize this point in terms of the gifts being in relation to salvation, he has said this in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 3, verse 21. 
we'll go from 21 to 28. Or 21 to 30. Romans 3, 21. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No, but by a law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since indeed God, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, is one. This is who our God is. That he, in spite of our sins... The law and the prophets, and now the apostles, they all preach one doctrine, that in spite of our sins, verse 24, we are justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. The blood of Christ, this redemption or this justification, happens only by the grace of God and the blood of Christ. But what is the means of obtaining this gift? What is the avenue or what is the tool God uses for us to embrace it, appropriate it for our benefit? He says that in verses 25 to 30. He mentions faith, 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 faith. And this is faith in Jesus, faith in Jesus Christ. That is the tool, that is the way in which we obtain, appropriate, benefit from the work of Christ. And this faith is a gift, a gift of God. Moreover, we go to chapter 5, Romans chapter 5, where he also mentions this gift, gift in relation to salvation, redemption, eternal life, and forgiveness of sins. 5.12, Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of Adam's offense, who is a type of him who was to come. 15 begins to mention gift. But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, 
the judgment arose from one transgression, resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions, resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more, those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one the many will be made righteous. And the law came in that the transgression might increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. That, as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He mentions this free gift, this free gift that we obtain, and this is obtained by grace. The free gift is obtained by grace. These are the two words that he emphasizes in this passage. Free gift and grace. Now, the means we've already seen in chapter 3 and in chapter 4, the means are the tool that we embrace the work of Christ is faith. But how is it that one actually exercises faith? How is it that one actually has the ability to have faith? true faith, not a false faith, but a true faith to believe. Well, that is the gift of God, which we saw last time. Romans 6, Romans 6, 23, Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death. We deserve death for our sins. Just one sin, but we have innumerable sins. We deserve death. But then how is it that we can overcome death and have eternal life? Only as a free gift of God, where He regenerates us, where He grants us faith as a gift, and where He grants us repentance as a gift, which we also saw last time. Rebirth, faith, and repentance as the gifts of God. Also, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. At the beginning of this passage, at the outset of chapter 2, 2 verse 1, he says that we were dead in trespasses and sins. Dead in trespasses and sins. If we are dead, no dead person is able to make himself alive by his free will. Because a dead person doesn't have any will anymore. He doesn't have that capability anymore. If he's dead, he is dead. And this is why also it says in Ephesians 2, Ephesians 2 verses 4 and 5. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. God made us alive while we were dead. 
like Lazarus, like Jairus' daughter, like others, they were dead, and it, re- it required an outside powerful source to perform a miracle to raise them up from the dead. This is the same in the spiritual realm. In our souls, we are dead, and it requires God to make us alive, not for us to cooperate with our free will to make us alive, but for God to make us alive. Now, having explained that, he says in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, the following, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. Grace is what causes us to be saved through faith. By grace you have been saved through faith. And whether we're talking about grace, salvation, or faith, all of these, in a sense, are one package, and they are called here the gift of God. The gift of God. No one can say that we deserve God's grace. No one can say we deserved to be saved. No one can say we deserve to have faith because a gift by definition is something that the giver gives because of the goodness or the grace that is in his heart and gives the gift to whomever he wishes. And sometimes we give gifts to those whom we know for special occasions, but at other times, Do we not, in day-to-day life, give a gift to somebody that we do not know? We give some kind of benefit, some kind of help to somebody we do not know when they are desperate, such as the Good Samaritan did with the man who was beaten up by robbers and left on the side of the road. That man, he needed the grace of the Good Samaritan to help him. In that way, it was a one-way street. And the Good Samaritan gave him whatever gifts that he had to help the robbed man who was left and stranded on the roadside. You see, this is what the Bible means by the gifts of God. All of it, in reference to our salvation, has to originate from heaven, not from us. Every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. James 1.17 Also, John 3.27 John the Baptist answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. A man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. Now that we have argued for that, last time we also spoke about our calling, the calling. What does Romans 11.29 mean by the calling of God being irrevocable? Last time we noticed that the Bible uses the word calling in reference to salvation and the things of salvation, the things of God, in reference to two main callings. 
not in reference to the vocational calling, which is also true, biblically speaking, but in reference to salvation. The one calling is by means of the word of Christ. It has to be preached. It has to be explained and read and studied and memorized. And this is how God calls the people who are the elect to salvation. This by means of the word of Christ is the external call. It is the outward call. It is a common call. That is, it's more common than the internal call, the secret call of the Holy Spirit. This we also saw from last time that the word for calling has reference to, in some passages, to that which God does by sending messengers of the truth to call sinners to repentance. This is what the external outward call is. But also, we find that there is the internal call, and that's our focus today. The internal call, the mysterious call, the work of the Holy Spirit, this time, let's explore what the Scripture says about this. Now, this, first, let's see how he has already been arguing for this fact in the book of Romans. The book of Romans, and then we'll see elsewhere. Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 1, verse 6. This has reference to the secret, mysterious, internal, spiritual call of the Holy Spirit whenever the Holy Spirit is saving the elect. When He is saving the elect. Romans 1, 6. Among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. You are the called of Jesus Christ. By that, he's speaking of their special and internal call. Romans chapter 8. Romans eight twenty-eight. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. He says, 8.28 to 30. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. And whom He predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. In reference to the objects of God's love here, it says here in verse 28 that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. This means that God is not causing all things to work together for everybody in the world. We know that to be the case because many people will end up in the lake of fire, the fire and brimstone of hell. That's where they will go for all eternity. So he has to mean in this context, all things are working together for good to those who love God. And that's what he says in verse 28, to those who love God. There are many God-haters 
But the God lovers are the ones who have their circumstances, their afflictions in life, all working together for their own good. And these who love God are called also, in verse 28, those who are called according to his purpose. They are the called according to the purpose of God. And what is this purpose of God? He expands on that in verses 29 to 30. These who are called, the lovers of God, the called of God, verse 29, whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might become or might be the firstborn among many brethren. Are all of the ones that God foreknows, are all of them predestined? No. Are all of the ones whom he foreknows and predestines conformed to the image of his son? No. Because many people will end up in hell. Therefore, he has to mean that foreknow and predestine and confirmation are conforming themselves to the image of Christ has to do with the chosen, the elect, who are among many brethren, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Christ is our firstborn elder brother, and we are his brothers in the family of God. And how does it work? Verse 30, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Those who were predestined before the foundation of the earth, Ephesians 1.4, these in time, time and space, in history, at a certain point in their life, they were called. Called by whom? Called by the Holy Spirit. For that secret, mysterious work, unpredictable work in the human heart. And when the Holy Spirit calls, he justifies and glorifies. This has to be a reference to the internal work of the Holy Spirit because not everybody is justified and not everybody is glorified. It doesn't happen. We also find in chapter 9, Romans 9, 10 to 13. Romans 9, 10 to 13. Now as he expounds on the doctrine of election in greater detail, in chapters 9, 10, and 11, especially 9 and 11, he says here in 9, 10, And not only this, but there was Rebecca also when she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac. For though the twins were not yet born and had not done anything good or evil, in order that God's purpose according to his choice might stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls. It was said to her, The older will serve the younger, just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Rebecca, Rebecca and Isaac, one couple, and she conceived twins by the one man, Isaac, husband and wife. Verse 11. 
though the twins were not yet born and had not done anything good or evil, why did God seek or why did God answer the prayer at this point when Rebecca was curious as to why her twins were struggling or wrestling or fighting in the womb? She could tell that there was contention inside the womb. She prays to the Lord and the Lord answers her. And why did God choose to answer her? Because he wanted to illustrate not only in their life, but also throughout all the ages, that it does not depend on anything good or evil in the person. It only depends on God's purpose according to his choice. God's purpose according to his choice. And not because of works, but because of him who calls. There is no work, whether evil or good, that God considers in this equation in order for eternal life to be the result. It's only the calling of God. Here he chooses to just use this one phrase. But because of him who calls. When God calls, then the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. God called Jacob, but God did not call Esau. God loved Jacob, but God did not love Esau. Though both Jacob and Esau had nothing lovely in and of themselves, because both of them were still, or at a point, they were unregenerate. And then at a point, Jacob became a believer. He was regenerated and had faith and repentance, faith in Christ and repentance for forgiveness of sins. But Esau continued in that state, which means that this calling, verse 11, does not apply to Esau. It's the secret spiritual call of the Holy Spirit that was at work in Jacob, not Esau. Well then, if we now come to chapter 11, chapter 11 and verse 29, it's inescapable that the calling of God has to do with this kind of calling. The redemptive, salvific call because of the work of the Holy Spirit. If this is the case, then let's also consider a couple of other places in, in Scripture. Let's go to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 26. 1 Corinthians 1, 26. 26 to 31. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, that he might nullify the things that are that no man should boast 
before God. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. He says to consider our calling in 26. And in our calling, God did not choose many wise and noble people. Certainly he chose a few, but he did not choose many of them. But God chose the weak and foolish things of the world, including the weak and foolish people of the world. He means the butcher, the baker, and the candlestick maker. Not many kings, not many in the nobility, but the people who are usually considered in the low strata of society. God has chosen them. And it says in verse 27, God has chosen two times. Verse 28, God has chosen. And then in verse 30, but by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus. By his doing. He doesn't mean by cooperation. He came halfway and now you must come halfway. He doesn't mean it that way. He means that we are called and chosen, and by His doing, by His grace, we are saved. This is the emphasis in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 26-31. Continuing to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Let's read Ephesians 1, 3 to 5, and then further. Ephesians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. Now, we have these heavenly blessings, spiritual and heavenly blessings in Christ. Why? Because of four, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Verse five, he predestined us to adoption according to the kind intention of His will. His will. Go on to verse 18. One eighteen. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, what is the hope of His calling. This calling is the internal call. It has to be the internal call because he's also praying that their heart might be further opened or further enlightened to understand that God has chosen and predestined them in this way with a hope, the hope of eternal life. Ephesians 4, Ephesians 4 verse 1, 4, 1 to 6. Ephesians 4 verse 1. 
I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father, of all who is over all and through all and in all. This calling mentioned twice in verse 1 is further mentioned in verse 4 as one hope of your calling. Is this call in the context the general call, the external call, the word of Christ? No, because here it has resulted in what? It has resulted in our sanctification. It results in the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It results in us being in one body, one Spirit. You are called in one hope of your calling. We have one faith, uh, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. These are the results of the internal call. Hebrews chapter Actually, no. Second Timothy. Second Timothy chapter 1. And then we'll go to Hebrews. Second Timothy chapter 1. Second Timothy chapter 1 verse 9. 1 9. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling? Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. God is the one who has saved us by His power and called us with a holy calling. The holy calling has to be a particular internal spiritual call of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit produces holiness in us. The holy calling not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace. God's own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. One verse that says it all right there. 2 Timothy 1.9. One verse. Everything is summarized in this one passage. And one more place, we find it in Hebrews Chapter 3, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. Hebrews 3, 1. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. We are called here holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling. In Philippians, Philippians 3.14, he calls it an upward call. The upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Here, it's called the heavenly calling. What other calling does he mean except the internal secret call of the Holy Spirit? To consider Jesus who is our apostle and high priest. What we confess is that Christ is our apostle, sent from heaven as the messenger of God and also a high priest to die on the cross for our sins as the spotless high priest 
for us and our salvation. This is the calling that we have enjoyed now, now that we are saved. Okay, now we've come to our final term, which we must explain. It says in Romans eleven twenty nine that these are irrevocable. The gifts of God and the calling of God are irrevocable. Irrevocable means that there is no way for God to break His promise. God will not violate His word. He will not break His promise. He will not renege on His oath. Whatever God has granted to us, He will not take it back. This is the meaning of the irrevocability of the gifts of God and the calling of God. God, in other words, is not a liar. God is not a liar and He is not a deceiver. Whatever He has granted to us, He will have it remain in us for all eternity. Which means that our salvation is a salvation that lasts forever. It's eternal salvation. It's eternal life. Because once the life is granted... God does not take it back. It doesn't happen. The Apostle Paul has told us in chapter 8 the following. Romans 8, 35 to 39. Remember when we were in this passage earlier that the love of God, those who love God, those who have experienced His redemption, that we go from being foreknown to being glorified. Well, then he's assuring us that whatever the troubles of life, whatever our uncertainties and afflictions, he says that nothing will separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. 8.35. 8.35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. Just as it is written, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other Created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Has he said nothing will separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord? Yes. He has even included principalities and powers. Principalities and powers, which is one of the words or two words for angels. Fallen angels, evil spirits, deceitful spirits, demons, Satan, Satan and all of the fallen angels along with him. And then in 39, he also includes anything else that has been created in this world by God. Any and everything else that has been created in this world by God. And why does he do so? Because some... False interpretations say, well, it doesn't say 
our will. It doesn't say our free will. It doesn't say our free and good will. It doesn't say that here. Well, anything else that might come to our mind that is created in this world and is not our will created, our will has not existed from all eternity past. It was created at a certain point in time. It was created at a point in time in our life. It did not exist as an uncreated thing from all eternity past. Therefore, when he says, nor any other created thing, our will, our free will, or good will, whatever term we use, that is a created thing. And even that cannot circumvent, cannot contradict, cannot undermine the good and gracious calling of God in our life. It's impossible for that to happen. From beginning to end, God is the one who saves us. It's irrevocable. Turn to the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 23. Numbers 23. 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. To repent means to go back on his word, to renege, to change his course of action. He's not going to do that. Because whatever he has said, he'll do. Whatever he has spoken, he'll make it good. He will fulfill it. 1 Samuel 15 1 Samuel 15, 29. And also, the glory of Israel will not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. God doesn't change his mind. And this we have, we must understand, he's talking about the secret things of God, this work of the calling of God that is irrevocable. God does not change his mind in reference to these matters. Once it's granted, it is granted. Malachi 3.6 For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O sons of Israel, are not consumed. Malachi 3.6 God does not change, and therefore we are not consumed. Titus Chapter 1, Titus chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Titus 1, 1 to 2. Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago. God, who gives us the hope of eternal life, cannot lie. What he promised long ages ago, he fulfills in us. Hebrews 7.21 Hebrews 7.21 For they indeed became priests without an oath, but he with an oath through the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. You are a priest 
forever. He won't change his mind. Not in reference to his eternal purpose in Christ. And finally, Hebrews 6, 13. Hebrews 6, 13 to 20. 6, 13. For when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply you. And thus, having patiently waited, he obtained the promise. For men swear by one greater than themselves, and with them an oath given, as confirmation is an end of every dispute. In the same way, God, desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of his purpose, interposed with an oath, in order that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we may have strong encouragement, we who have fled for refuge and laying hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil, where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. God swears by himself because there is no one greater than God, no one higher than God. And after he has announced his word, he also confirms his word by swearing an oath by himself. God doesn't need to swear this oath. He swears the oath because with these two unchangeable things, his word, his decree, plus his oath, these two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, it wasn't said for God's benefit. It was said for our benefit because this we have as a reiteration, as an emphasis. He says in 18, we may have strong encouragement, strong encouragement, encouragement to persevere, encouragement because of the hope of eternal life. This is our anchor of the soul so that we might have that which is both sure and steadfast. Christ has gone as a forerunner before us, and now we enter into what Christ has experienced. We begin to enter it now, and then finally, when we die or the Lord returns. This is what he means, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. He wants us to have full confidence and encouragement in God. Let's believe it. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.